once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 321 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, June 8th, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, June 12th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Greetings, everyone. Again, a big hello to all of our new listeners following us via podcasts.roddenberry.com. All right, Tony, let's jump right in. Tell us what we've got this week. This week we are checking out some things you may not know about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Nicholas Meyer hints at some future Star Trek projects. In Star Trek Gaming News, Season 13 of Star Trek Online is now out on console, and we've got details of the summer event ship on PC. We're also looking at what you can pre-order for the new tabletop RPG, Star Trek Adventures. And another mobile game has managed to snag itself a Star Trek license. This week, Jake and Cookie are back with another episode of The Promenade. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know that we'd love to talk with you throughout the week. So... Keep that conversation going and reach out to us via Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Priority One Pod, or if you're brave, shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what place is I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Well, this last week on June 4th, we celebrated the 35th anniversary of the release of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Arguably, the best film of the franchise. Okay, 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 okay. Before you say anything, it's definitely top three on everyone's list, okay? And we can all agree on that. Sci-Fi Wire via Blaster.com celebrated the anniversary with 12 things you may not have known about Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Now, we won't go through all of them, but we've picked out some of the more obscure trivia Trek nuggets that might surprise even the most knowledgeable of Trekkies. In one rumored draft of the sequel, Roddenberry's story would have been one of Klingons using the Guardian of Forever to go back in time to destroy any possibility of Starfleet and the Federation, kind of like the Borg did to Earth in First Contact. The rumor goes on to suggest that the assassination of President John F. Kennedy would have also been included, except that it would reveal that Spock was the supposed second shooter on the grassy knoll. That would have been horrible. That would have been terrible. That would have been very bad. Just bad like so i can't it's i'm speechless yes i'm speechless that that was even considered it's a lot like that uh that historical trope of ooh, let's go back and kill hitler 
Right, right. But that's true, Tony. It, it, has, it was only rumored. Yeah, true. Harmless. Have you ever noticed that Kirk and Khan never really face each other? They only communicate via view screen or communicator. Much of that had to do with film scheduling. Ricardo Montalban was busy working on Fantasy Island. As a result, we never get a face-to-face -face confrontation. And what's up with Savik? She's pretty emotional for being a Vulcan, right? She cries during Spock's funeral. She expresses frustration when everyone dies on the Kobayashi Maru. Well, it turns out that her story is a little more detailed in the novelization. She's half Vulcan, half Romulan. She also has a fling with Kirk's son, David. So that's pretty... Those are... Okay, I didn't know that she was supposed to be Romulan. I had no idea. Half Romulan. I also... Half Romulan, I'm sorry. I yeah, no, no, I didn't I, either. It, that, that, now, you see, interestingly enough, now the character makes much more sense in Undiscovered Country. Yes, it makes lots more sense. But that wasn't... That's not Savick. That's Valeris, who was supposed to be Savick. Oh. But it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, it is a whole new character? No, I thought they, it was wrote, they wrote it. They wrote it for Savick. They wrote it supposed to it's supposed to be Savick, but they either Robin Curtis didn't want to do it or something. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So they ended up getting Kim Cattrall instead, and mm, they said right. we're not going to do a third face switch. It's just going to be somebody somebody different. Got yeah. it. So got yeah, no, but uh, yes, the novelization which I have here in my hot little hands, Star Trek: The Wrath of he's Khan. He's prepared. Oh, I've had, I've had this since I was a little kid. This is my this is something I got when I was a little little kid. But yeah, so that, no, there's a lot of good stuff in the novelization that doesn't make it into the final cut of the movie. That just makes it the story's better in the novelization. There's more mm. about uh, Mr. Scott's nephew, uh, Peter Preston, in there. Preston and Savick were were really really tight, um, and that's mm. one of the things that uh, that Savick gets real broken up about again on the mission. And um, yeah, and it goes into her background a little bit about the colony that she was born on. So I mean, it, it, it's the novelization is pretty really really good. Um, some mm. some of them get off track sometimes, but that that one's particularly good. Oh, good. And remember that computer simulation of the Genesis effect on a random planet? Well, that was the first time ever that a fully computer-generated sequence had ever been used for film. It was done by Lauren Carpenter of Lucasfilm. You kind of don't think about the first time ever for something like that, do you? We take for granted now that you know entire sequences are are done with computer generation but i suppose at a certain time our characters are done with computer yeah, yeah yeah it reminds uh, we talked to uh, doug drexler um i can't remember if it was the one interview he did for guard frequency or priority one but he said essentially that on the tv show they were always reusing the stock footage mm -hmm. and uh, i think it was harv bennett doug said that he said that as soon as your computer stuff looks as good as the film stuff that we mix in like we can mm -hmm. do a computer sequence that blends into a film sequence, and, and no one can tell the difference. That's when I'll let you use computer stuff. But I didn't know that you know half a decade or a decade earlier that that yeah I guess that already had been done. It, yeah. it already blended it like that. Yeah, you forget that Star Trek really was kind of the the a real trailblazer in technology at the time. Yeah, yeah. arguably less so these days, sadly. And interestingly enough, Wrath of Khan was amazingly under budget because mm. they brought in a television guru who was used to working on television budgets uh, and so the budget was 42 million and they were well under that I think we might talk about it in the next bit too but part of that was the structure of the script it was right. it was right. it was done as like a, a submarine movie right so you just had to have mm -hmm. you know submarine a submarine B and they, they had the away mission down to regular one but that was all interior sets too they didn't have to 
go outside much. Speaking of Wrath of Khan, last week, TrekMovie.com interviewed Nicholas Meyer, who directed the film, and Ghost wrote some of the plot. Now, in the initial publication of the interview, not much is spoken about regarding the new series, Star Trek Discovery. However, it isn't to say that it didn't come up. In the interview, when talking about the pitfalls of Star Trek's very intensive lore and how it can sometimes be difficult to deal with it as a creator, Meyer explains, quote, I think that's fair. What I can say is that when Brian Fuller invented Star Trek Discovery and conceived it, he found a niche in the chronology that allows for another stream, end quote. Trek Movie followed up with, quote, but it still fits as part of that chronology, but you feel there is freedom in that niche? To which Meyer replied, yeah, end quote. Now, it goes without saying that Meyer was pretty tight-lipped, at least on the record, but he dropped some significant news in that he is working on another Star Trek project. Could this be a series? The next film in the Kelvin universe? A series of toys? Well, as Meyer told Trek Movie, quote, you can assume, end quote. So, two things there. Mm -hmm. First of all, is this discussion about Star Trek Discovery being in some type of a niche in the chronology. And then on top of that, he uses the phrase another stream. Mm -hmm. So, two things. What niche is he talking about? Mm. You know, one niche that I that immediately comes to mind is, of course, the Battle of Axanar, right? Which is very, very heavy between the Federation and the Klingons, mm -hmm. and obviously there is a conflict between the Federation and Klingons. However, the likelihood of, of that story being told is very unlikely. So what niche could we be covering here? But the, the thing that really kind of raised my brow was the phrasing allows for another stream. Mm -hmm. So when I think another stream, I'm thinking another universe. Um, I, I don't, I don't take it like that. Um, it sounds to me as though it, it that quote sounds to me as though they found a, a, a subject line that they can take down and explore more in depth that isn't going to affect things materially later on down the line. So, um, I'm trying to think of an example where they might be able to explore some, some thing that happens on the side or on the outskirts, maybe at the edge of the universe, that doesn't then end up impacting what happens with um, Captain Kirk, etc. But it is still some place that they can go and explore, and um, it feels still feels important to the overall Star Trek universe. That's what I kind of interpreted that as. Yeah, you know, it fits real well in there. Section thirty-one, like people have been sort of. Thinking about, or you know, that was speculation from back in the day when the registry number came up on the, uh, excuse me, on that uh, on the preview. If you go in it as a spy story, as sort of the dark underbelly secret agents type stuff, mm -hmm. you can. That's a whole other world, and that will that's also true actually because it's it's supposedly invisible to all of the other series. Yeah, and that also might explain why we got so much hairy mud on the plate. Yeah. So, oh, if he, dude, if he turns out to be like a secret agent or something, something he's, I'm I, gonna be not. He's happy. <laughs> totally gonna be Section Thirty One. Are you, are you uh, kidding me? He's, he is absolutely gonna be Section Thirty One. He, uh, this, you can mark this down as a t an official Tony prediction. Harry Mudd is gonna be somehow Section Thirty One because th think about the two, the two episodes he was in. One of them had to do with illegal drugs, 
and yep. you know, and and uh, and you know, the settling the frontier with the wives, right? You know, he's he's yep. hauling he's hauling wives out to the frontiersmen out there past the boundaries of law, right? You know, out there amongst the the, the hard scrabble edges. So that's totally Section Thirty One territory. And the next time he's on a planet full of stupid weird robots, which is you know, sort of like, you know, weird technology and he's out there all by himself and doing all sorts of crazy garbage. So, I mean, both times we run into Harry Mudd, he's out there on the fringes experimenting with uh, either, uh, you know, quasi-legal things or stuff that really, you know, could be doomsday weapons. Eh, I hate to admit it. You, you've hit a spark that I hadn't considered before, Tony. I, like, I literally viscerally hate to admit it. I, it's it's a thing that I inspired people. <laughs> God, I'm tired of that guy being all right. Yeah, oh, but man. here's here's to counter that. I am so hoping to the great bird of the galaxy that when he used the term and phrasing another stream, we are in fact going to be splintering off into a different multiverse. <laughs> I really, I really kind of, I really kind of hope because I think that would be, I would be less mad. You'd be less mad. <laughs> so you would rather you would rather have it splinter into you'd a rather third, have a third timeline, third universe. So you know we 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 talked at great length about this last week uh, during our live recording, which did not make it into the final show for last week. But you know, given the given the setting, given the given the set design, you know, this feels very much like Kelvin timeline. You know, but is it before the split, before the splinter of of the Narada and whatnot? We don't have to go. We're not going into that again. You'll just have to catch our live streams or subscribe to us on Patreon. But I'm hoping that that Brian Fuller has kind of identified that. Look, we have we have all the old. We have all the 21st century stuff with TNG, Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to 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 justify or, or explain the gap between what is the discovery set design and what we know so far of that timeline and that time period. And you know what? I'm okay if it's a different stream, a whole new stream, because otherwise they're going to have to retcon. And I'm, um, I'd rather not retcon. Yeah, I'd rather avoid retconning, but I think you're probably going to And I'd also rather have... avoid Harry Mudd as Section 31. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to completely avoid retconning in this um, series because at the end of the day, you're creating a TV show for a modern audience. So I think there will be some things that people are going to go, yeah, you can't redo that. Um, that, I think, is just going to come with the territory. He's going to be the head of Section 31. <laughs> Boys, to really doubling down on it. <laughs> Let's talk about this other secret project. What do you guys think it might be? Uh, anything? Could, could it be, be the fourth film? It could be a book. Kenna, could you have some fun and maybe guess? You know, maybe you know. Let's. Uh... <laughs> I, hope a book. I hope it's a book. I hope it's a book. It could be a novel. Know, it could be. I don't know. He's a, he's a busy man. He could be just about anything. I don't know. Maybe he's doing uh, figurines. Ooh, he's making Trek nuggets. Right, he's beat us to the punch, Elijah. He's he's making a line of Star Trek themed fast food restaurants uh, or convenience food. Yeah. Well, before the team continues to make me the butt of their jokes, why don't we find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online? Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. 
Well, Captains, welcome once again to Star Trek Online News. Let's start with console news, where Season 13 Escalation launched this week on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. A reminder to players, if you haven't logged in and patched yet, the new season for console comes packed with not one, but two featured episodes, Mirrors and Smoke, and the excellent must-play standalone episode, Survivor. You'll also get the new Wargames competitive PvE queues and the competitive Wargames reputation, Space Combat Rebalancing, and the Privateer Lockbox. Don't forget as well, the summer event on Ryza is also now active on console, so now is the perfect time to log on. Speaking of the summer event, we've got the stats for the brand new event ship coming to PC this summer. The Tier 6 Vorgon Rheinkodan carrier is a so-called command and control vessel with an emphasis on engineering. Features a Lieutenant Universal slash Temporal Operative Bridge Officer, amongst others, and boasts two hangar bays loaded with Vorgon Achentis frigates. The universal console that comes with the ship is called the Subphasic Defense Drone, and when deployed, it debilitates enemies' weapons while boosting your shields and projectile damage. The console can be equipped on any Vorgon ship. The starship trait you can earn with the Vorgon Rhine Kodan carrier is called Restorative Support. This is actually a neat little passive trait that when you use a hull healing ability on yourself or an ally, it generates a support probe that basically regenerates the target for a short time, in addition to the original hull heal. At the same time, it also drains the shields of nearby enemies, perhaps giving you a tactical advantage. To earn this ship, you need to earn a quantity of 1,000 2017 Lolanut prize vouchers in the summer event. Those are earned 40 at a time by running the daily floater race on Ryza. For more detailed stats, we'll leave a link in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO321. Captains, we haven't covered patch notes on the show for a little while, mostly because they've been pretty minor fixes. But this week's patch was a big one, with several changes you'll want to be aware of. First up, there's a new mechanic in your inventory that allows you to protect inventory items so they can't be accidentally sold or disposed of. There's an addition to the right-click menu for these items, and it's a toggle-on and toggle-off kind of function. Also in your inventory, R&D packs are now stackable. For those of you who like to treat them as commodities, come R&D pack promo time. They will now stack up to 10 packs per inventory slot. The launch toy rocket item from this year's first contact day now works correctly on Risa. Apparently it didn't before. But the patch notes include the following request, quote, please be mindful of beachgoers above you when launching, end quote. There have been tweaks and bug fixes to several queues, and there's a new filtering system in the QUI, the user interface, so go check that out. And the gameplay to several story missions also has been tweaked to fix some progress blocking bugs. Now, one very cute addition that made it into the game this week is that the Taylor Tech on Drazana Station has been replaced by a new NPC called Becca. This is in honor of Becca Knoll, the contestant on Cosplay Melee a few weeks back who built an impressive Star Trek Online-inspired outfit. The hairstyle, shaved and curly, has also been added for female characters modeled after Becca's hair. One known issue to draw attention to quickly, the PVEQ Kittimer in Stasis is still broken and has been disabled until further notice. Of course, for full patch notes, we will leave a link in the show notes. And as a quick follow-up to last week's interview with Ryan Levitt, there's a new story blog out this week called Cold Dishes, written by Ryan himself. We also want to thank Star Trek Online for featuring us on their news page. We appreciate the signal boost. And now, Captains, it's time to get learned. 
with Star Trek Online's expert, Quinters. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to talk to you about a very useful piece of gear for ground combat. Some of you may remember from the DS9 episode called Rivals, a small little gambling device. This device is actually available in-game and purchasable from the Lobby store for 30 Lobby, or from the exchange for approximately 5 million EC. Just like in the episode Rivals, this device can have a pretty significant change on your good or bad luck. If you use the device and win, you will gain an increase to your dodge ability. It will also increase your crit chance and your crit severity by 10%. These bonuses will stay in effect for up to one hour or to the point that you are killed. If you use the device and lose, you will suffer a decrease in your dodge ability. It will also decrease your crit chance and crit severity by 10%. These debuffs will only last for one minute though. Assuming that you can stay out of combat, you can use the device again after 30 seconds. From personal experience, you do tend to win a lot more often than you do lose, so it's a very good piece of gear to have on your character. It should be noted that the gambling device does not stack with triple buffs, so it's either one or the other. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO321. So there are items that don't necessarily fall into the general scope of your paper tune. In other words, slottable items that you would expect to carry like a gun or armor or whatnot that enhance your character. A, a good example is what Winters just explained with the, the gambling devices. But one theme, one recurring theme that you're going to keep hearing is something called crit chance and crit severity. And I'm sure that Winters will go into it during one of his weekly top tips. But anything that boosts crit chance or crit severity is general rule of thumb good and finally for star trek online in priority one armada news this coming saturday the 17th of june the priority one armada is continuing its celebration of its fourth year anniversary by holding a special dabo party now this is a special event that will take place on risa Every time someone wins a minimum of a Dabo, or 1,000 gold-pressed latinum on a single bet, they will also win a duty officer pack. We have over 76 million energy credits worth of duty officer packs to give away for this event. So there has never been a better time to join the Priority One Armada. Head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. It's not just Star Trek Online that's heating up this summer. We've got a couple of stories about other Star Trek games with big changes going on. First up, the tabletop RPG Star Trek Adventures is now available for pre-order from Modifius.com. There is a wide range of products available, from dice sets in red, yellow, and blue, to unpainted miniatures. And of course, the rulebooks. The core rulebook is available to pre-order for $58.99 before tax and shipping. If you are feeling especially flush with cash this summer, there's also a collector's edition box set that comes in a Borg cube-shaped box and contains a lot of stuff. Captains will have links in the show notes because it's way too much for us to cover in this episode. A few things that are exclusive to this set, of course, are an exclusive miniature of Lore, Data's brother, that you can only buy with this set, special edition Borg Game Master screen, and of course, the specially designed Borg cube-shaped box designed to hold all this stuff. 
This special edition can be yours for the low, low price of $511.99, not including tax and shipping, which will run about $40 if you live in the United States. So hurry, act now. Yeah, so it's all really super expensive. <laughs> I don't know if, you, uh, if you've if you had a chance to actually click through the link and, and, and see what it looks like, but... um, I looked at it, and yeah, there's there's great stuff in there you know laser engraved tokens and you know oh yeah awesome game stuff. master screen it, it all does pulls not up into its own run cheap no, no. <laughs> the 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 just plain core rulebook standard edition is 58.99 if you want to get the collector's edition with a really awesome zoomed in picture of the enterprise d that's uh 77.99 um the, the bundles of miniatures run you about $52. The, a, a set of dice, which are really cool because they come in like uh, Command Red and Science Blue and whatever. A set of dice will run you $24. I mean, I don't know if that's if that's normal for this type of thing. At first glance, for me, it just was like... it's Yeah, yikes. I think everything here is just... Uh, there's an IP factor built in. Uh, to mm-hmm. it, it's it's all it all seems to, to me to run just a little bit more expensive than regular RPG stuff, like a shade, like a little bit. I mean, it's just, but it seems like it, it, that adds up though. I mean, over the course of this list of a dozen or so, so different special features, you know, mm-hmm. a nickel here and nickel there adds up to apparently five hundred and twelve dollars worth of nickels. I suppose. Now, Tony, guys, what? Let me put it to you this way. Okay. If we all lived near each other, yes, within driving distance, yes, would we all chip in and get this game so we could all play it and have game nights? Uh. Is it expensive because we're thinking to ourselves, oh man, we don't have anybody to play with. <laughs> yeah, for me to buy it by myself is like, yeah, like I'm going to do that because I have nobody right. to play with. But, you know, maybe if it was, if we had a group of five people and we all went in on the rule book, that's a, you know, a little over $10 each. Maybe. Well, no, I mean, typically everybody buys their own rule book because you kind of need it for character generation and to sort of peruse while you're in the game. So, I mean, I mean, that 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 expense kind of is 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 individual, but sharing does happen. And I think that there, uh, for for a, a, a an item like this, you have a license to distribute a few personal copies of the PDF. I didn't get into the the weeds of this thing, but. Mm-hmm. As a somebody's got to sh- bur- uh, bear the burden of that cost, and yeah, you can buy it as a group or something, but you better be real good friends, real good friends, like better friends than me and Elijah. Because I mean, nah, that guy, he's kind of like I don't know. I say we just all buy a house and all live in it, and we'll call it the Priority One House. We'll call it the Priority House. The Priority House. I'll check wow. with my wife and kids and see if they're okay with that. And our last story of gaming news today, Star Trek licensing seems to be coming thick and fast for games these days, and the latest game to get access to franchise assets is the mobile game Pocket Starships. StarTrek.com reports that James R. Thompson, CEO and president of game company SPYR, said, quote, Pocket Starships and Star Trek are a perfect fit with both Pocket Starships and Star Trek celebrating a spirit of exploration and cooperation. We think that Star Trek fans will enthusiastically embrace the new Star Trek-based content we will be adding to Pocket Starships, end quote. The company's current offering is advertised as a top-down starship shooter with co-op PvE and PvP modes, as well as ship modification, mining, and crafting. So slap a Galaxy-class skin on the battleship asset, mark the missiles as photon torpedoes, and presto, Star Trek mobile game. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Could somebody explain to me what this it's game like is? It's like a top-down shooter. You run, you run your little ship around. There's asteroids and other bad guy ships, and you drive it around and shoot stuff. Yeah, I've never played it before. I mean, actually, I find it. Uh, I, I, when I read about this uh, earlier this week, I thought, "How have I not heard of this game?" But you know, I have now, so I might have a go at it. I suppose, but, but I don't know. We'll see. It seems like a pretty small game, but. I could be wrong. So actually, this is something that you should be covering on Guard Frequency. Pocket start, no. Space Sims. No. no the, world, no. the world of Space Sims. This is not a Space Sim. Hold on a second. No, I've played this game before, and um, this is actually a like a, a MMO for your mobile phone. I think MMO's coming on a bit strong. No, because you can you can chat with other people. You are in a world environment with other people. I mean, it's it's two-dimensional, yeah, of course, but this is legit an MMO for your mobile device, and I, I have played a game... If this is not the game, I've played yeah, a game like th- th- this. Yeah, this genre has been around for a, a, a while, and there are many... There, this has been sort of a... There, this, is a this is a thing where you log into an account, and you have a starship, and you fly around and blow things up and collect rewards of some kind, upgrade the starship... And 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 buy new ships. I mean, right. I mean, it's right, it's a, right, right. But the, but the, what separates this is the is the multiplayer aspect of this is that you are mm-hmm. in a an environment with other. No, players. that that that's relatively common too. I mean, you can call if you want. You could call it a, an MMO if you wanted to. I just don't think it's funny that Kenneth said you know uh, we should cover this on guard frequency because we have arguments. We have actual legit arguments on our our chat channel about the definition of what's a space simulator. Do you need to have a joystick? Does it have to be a single-seat fighter cockpit? I mean, we like have nobody a real... needs to have a joystick. Let's just clear that up right now. Well, for a, for a space sim, that's that's a thing. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. But for an MM, but so what defines so an MMO? And then you have to, we'll have to have that philosophical. Massively multiplayer online. Is it a role game. playing so though? It's massively, it, and it's multiplayer. Is it role playing though? Hmm? Are you telling a story? In other Probably words, probably not. So, no, but it's definitely massively. It's it's definitely multiplayer. And pretty massive, although it's pocket-sized. You you have heard the news. Then this was a story that I actually cut out of um, the gaming section of the show this week because it was kind of on the periphery. But it's just actually been announced this week. Uh, Perfect World and Cryptic are going to be launching a Magic: The Gathering MMO. So I mm-hmm. think it's likely that our large investments in Star Trek Online might not be happening in the short term. I mean, it's great news for PWE and Cryptic because that means that investors and a, another very large IP have a lot of faith in that company and their ability to create a game like that. However, it m- might not mean that we're getting a whole ton of investment into Star Trek Online for the for the short term. And, and the fact of the matter is that this game demonstrates that the mobile market is very crowded and Cryptic would be breaking into it they're trying to break into it. It's already very, very crowded. That's a fair assessment, yeah. Uh, but Kenna, I would venture on carefully wording because I think that a lot of people are going to – veteran players, mm-hmm. expert MMO players – are going to now jump on this, oh, my God – Star Trek Online is in maintenance mode. No, 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 we've, no. We've seen I don't, this happen no, before. I don't, and I don't, I personally don't think that's the case at all. I personally see the launching of the Magic the Gathering MMO as a huge uh, sign of ge- the general community's faith 
in PWA and Cryptic to produce a great game. And I think that Star Trek Online is going to continue on as it is. If you go to the Cryptic website, they are recruiting for a new team for Magic the Gathering. They are not pulling people off. They are not scaling back Star Trek Online. They are not doing anything like that. This is an investment, an expansion, a new venture, not a redirection of of the workforce. A long, long time ago, I used the phrase maintenance mode to describe uh, Star Trek Online's uh, like conveyor belt assembly line like precision of release a featured episode, do the anniversary, do a summer event, you know, do a... I mean, they mm-hmm. have... They, they don't have to... They're not required to really innovate anymore. They've got a rhythm. Right, they've got they've they've had years of marketing data of what works, and we know when we have to have to have a Zen sale, and we know when we have to have a ship sale. They don't they're not required to innovate anymore because they've got a rhythm. Yeah, but don't don't sell them short because you're forgetting about the fact that we just had a, a major expansion less than a year ago. So yeah, but it doesn't. They, we've we but they know how to do that, and and they've expanded they into console. So we've had actually a huge investment into Star Trek Online um, in the last right, year. Right. It just I think that where they're expanding into a new thing, probably we're not going to see that level in the, of investment in Star Trek Online again in the short term. I like to pick fights with my terminology, but the my point is that it's not console. The console move isn't necessarily innovative because they already had Neverwinter on console. My point mm-hmm. is is that they don't have. They don't have to break new ground, and in order for the, and in order to justify that breaking new ground investment, they'd have to be relatively assured of large returns. And in a crowded mobile environment, like Al was saying, to make that sort of investment, they'd have to have some reasonable assurance that they could capture a pretty good slice of that already crowded market. And I, the uh, the dice, I don't think they're loaded against them. Well, that's it for this week's gaming news. Now let's head over to the Promenade, where Jake and Cookie are showcasing all of the latest Trek stuff you'll want to get your hands on. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jake Cobb. And I'm Cookie Cupcakes. And this is the Promenade. Hey, Cookie. Are you okay? Huh? Oh. Hey, Jake. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just lost in thought. Is everything okay? Well, I just realized the Promenade didn't do anything big for our Roddenberry Network premiere. I'm trying to think of something big we can do. You know, like a big introduction. Oh. Yeah. We probably should have thought of something, huh? Hmm. Hmm. You know what? You have a great voice. You could sing. Old news, Jake. We've done that a few times already. Yeah, but the new listeners wouldn't know that. But we would, Jake. We would. Yeah, okay. Eureka! I've got it! Eureka? I'm gonna show them how great we are by using the ancient art of movement. I'll paint a picture on the canvas of dance. But, Cookie... Hold my nerve tonic. But they can't see you. It's a podcast. Do the snake! Let's go to the mall, everybody! Yeah. Do the robot! Wow! <laughs> and there you have it. So what do you think? You want to do this? Uh, yeah. Let's get to it. Well, I have something kind of different. 
I know we're all used to Think Geek and all that stuff, but a friend tipped me off on a cute little online store named L. Hoffer Design that is selling some adorable cardigans based on our favorite franchise in a collection called Interstellar Apparel. The Interstellar Explorer cardigans come in maroon, gold, blue, and surprisingly, a vibrant green. Ooh. I can't remember anyone from the next generation wearing that particular shade of green, but I must admit it does look good in that style. Do you remember anything like that? I don't, but it does look good. I don't want to forget to mention my favorite piece, which is the gray with the rainbow stripes at the top, if you know what I mean. They call this one Interstellar Prodigy. Very clever. I like how they kind of get around the copyright stuff. Yeah, wink, wink. These cardigans are 50 bucks, by the way. They also have some ponchos, which I don't care for at all, personally. It's kind of hard to tell what it's going for because the ponchos are so baggy and droopy, but that's what ponchos are like. I guess if you hold your arms out, you can tell. (laughs) I'm just not a poncho person. Anyways, give this little shop a visit if you're tired of the same old, same old. This is definitely different. A lot of times you see the same stuff over and over at cons, but I have never seen anyone wearing this. You just need to add a communicator pin and a little A-line skirt and the look will be complete. Yes, these are really nice. I like them. And I noticed that the Interstellar Prodigy is actually on sale right now for 35 bucks. Yes, that's true. Who knows how long it'll last. So, speaking of buying things, last month I did something so out of character. I splurged. (laughs) And so you know my definition of splurge is I'll supersize it or give me super unleaded. So in retrospect... Splurge may not be the most appropriate word. Maybe gluttonous? Mm. <laughs> Anywho, I bought something so expensive, so frivolous, I had to have someone else push the buy button. Was it one of those ridiculous beanbag chair covers and all the filling that was sold separately? <laughs> no. But today, right now as a matter of fact, I have in my possession the Wan Company's Star Trek TOS Bluetooth communicator. And it is glorious. <gasps> O-M-G! Squee! I won't go into the specs of this handheld masterpiece. We did that already in our preview of the piece way back in Priority One Podcast episode 265, and we'll put a link in the show notes for the new listeners. But for our ardent promenade fans, I'm looking at you, Mom. We'll try not to repeat ourselves too much. So, opening the cleanly designed retail cardboard box, the communicator is carefully packed in a beautiful black-gray carry case that looks like it's right out of a 23rd century stockroom. It's in large part matte black, with a more polished plastic in all four corners and more prominently off-center left for the indented and letter-raised USS Enterprise NCC-1701 standard-issue communicator marking. Swinging open the case is easy and smooth and reveals the molded foam-lined cushioned interior, protecting the communicator, carry pouch, and charging stand. Can I have it? Nope. The charging stand comes in two pieces, metal base and plastic magnetic charging unit. It's easy to assemble and easy on the eyes. Near the bottom of the stand, there's an LED light that indicates charging status. It's bright and easy to read and gives a nice ambiance to the whole unit. It's also got some heft, despite the included plastic. The included two-foot-ish black USB charging cable is standard fare, but my first complaint with the unit is that it doesn't come with a USB wall plug converter. I've got a few lying around and they're cheap enough and easy to find at retail, but for that very reason, it seems like an auto mission. Overall, though, the base gets a solid A. Can I just borrow it for like a month? I just need to make some calls. Uh, no. The carry pouch is what the Guan Company describes as leatherette. Translation, pleather. But that's okay. 
It is built of two leatherette pieces sewn firmly together. The front portion is stamped prominently with the 23rd Century Enterprise Command Delta and reads below, USS Enterprise, Standard Issue Communicator. The communicator itself fits snugly in the case and is protected on the inside by a short-cut microfiber, not entirely unlike the uniforms from TOS Seasons 1 and 2. The included instructions recommend that any non-display use, i.e. carrying, of the communicator includes the use of the carry case for unit protection. Honestly, very little is lost by doing it. The pouch is designed well enough for it to fit into any cosplay, and why not protect your investment, right? Like the charging stand, the positives outweigh the negatives and it gets an easy A. Speaking of cosplay, I'm going to a convention next month. You should just, you know, let me test that cosplay-proof pouch thing for you. Mm, not a chance. I could test it out real good. Swiftly moving on. That brings us to the piece de resistance, the Bluetooth communicator. There is no denying not only the accuracy of the piece, but also the genius of the original design. It's beautiful, it's well-sized, and it's practical. Many reviews of the Wan Company Bluetooth communicator have commented on its heft, and there certainly is a solid feel to the item. The main casing seems to be plastic, which is kind of to be expected, but it is perfectly textured and well-constructed. It sits oh-so-comfortably in your hand, and it just begs to be used. The antenna grill and hinge is presumably metal? There are some obvious weld points along the grill and frame, and mine wasn't perfectly aligned, which, to be honest, was a bit disappointing. I gently adjusted the grill and made it better, but it isn't perfect. It doesn't hinder operations in the slightest and probably wouldn't even be noticed by anyone but me, but I see it, and it's a little frustrating. Anyway, flipping said grill open when the unit is powered up rewards the user with the all-too-familiar communicator. Wait a minute, this is a TOS communicator? Yes, haven't you been paying attention? I mean, I just... Obviously not, because I was picturing the TNG one that looks like a communicator pin, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, I was not listening to what you were saying. Oh, boy. Well, this is what happens when you're excited about something, and you envision something in your brain, and then you ignore tiny little important details. Sorry, back to the chirp. TOS, got it. Okay. So in regards to that flipping open of the communicator grill, I can tell you how geekifying it is, but it wouldn't do it justice. Suffice it to say, it's trektastic. The user is greeted to the easily navigated layout of the classic comms device. From bottom to top, the metallic setting with an inlaid copper grill to the left and two protruding buttons to the middle and right. Further north, three jewels, some lit. And in the middle, the swirling moire. Or is it moire? Uh, I don't know. Regardless. Moire. Moire. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Regardless, it spins in the classic style, powered by a small motor that continues for about 30 seconds after flipping. The previously mentioned jewels are LED lit, and their blinking indicates the status of the communicator. Unpaired, Bluetooth linked, playing a podcast, receiving a call, powered off. All are easily identified thanks to the jewel display. It's impressive really how easy and functional the wand company has made the jewel system operate as a readout display. It's surprisingly intuitive. Finally, the speaker and buttons at the bottom of the interior are the data entry portion of the unit. The functions vary based on Bluetooth status, but the left is a push button, where the right is, in essence, an analog joystick. Regardless of Bluetooth status, the buttons will activate at least one phrase each from Spock, Bones, Uhura, Sulu, and Scotty. Unlinked units feature additional hero clips and linking options, while the linked unit buttons activate phone-specific features. I'll leave the specifics for the manual, but the sound clips are fun as can be. You know what you should do? Tell me. You should get the TNG one next. No, you get the TNG one next. (laughs) I'm just saying that one's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. The actual functionality of the communicator is divided into communicator unit and paired unit functionality. In so saying, I have an iPhone 6. Sorry, Elijah. And so my paired pal is Siri. If Siri can play it, look it up, or repeat it, 
so can the communicator. So without delving into Apple versus Google versus Windows versus Android versus etc., we'll skip OS functionality and move to the usefulness of the communicator. That means hardware. The Bluetooth hooks up quickly and without impairment. Holding the communicator about one and a half feet from one's face, it easily recognizes and understands all commands. As far as input sound, So how did it sound? It sounded like a normal phone to me. Yeah, it sounded good. Did it really? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you feel really trekky? Oh my god, it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) On my end, incoming sound was okay. In a quiet room, there are no issues, and it's super rewarding to converse as Kirk did. But amp up the ambient volume and things get a bit tougher. Put it near your face like a phone and no problemo. But that's not really how it's supposed to work, is it? Bottom line, I absolutely love this thing. It has its flaws, but if you buy this with the mindset that it's a functional prop replica and not a high-end Bluetooth speaker, you will absolutely not regret your purchase. A-plus for the unit itself. So there you have it. Dance transcends visualization. Links to the items discussed can be found in the show notes, so please be sure to check them out. Have any comments about the segment or anything discussed herein? We would love to hear them, so let us know what you think on Twitter, Facebook, or in the comment section. And remember... You keep an eye on the stars. We'll keep an eye on the market. Until next time. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And again, a big thanks to Cookie and Jake for their product reviews this week on The Promenade. Now, Captains, it's the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We'll start with an email from Richard Patch. Hi, Kenna. In the last episode, I heard you suggest a possible in-game console for all of the story blogs that are posted, and I thought it was a good idea. A good point was made about some of the blogs, like from enemy captains, should probably not be visible from a console in Federation space. I thought one of the potential options, though, the captain's table. That is supposed to be a neutral place for all captains to visit, so it might be a good place to put such a console. It would give another reason to visit the captain's table. My two cents, winky face. What, 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 a useful thing to do at the captain's table? <laughs> Mind. Get out. Blown. <laughs> the only problem with that idea, and I know Cryptic would say this first, is that it is exclusive to Gold and Lifetime members. Therefore, Which... it, it's not actually open to everyone. Well, that is that is way past its sale date, too. I don't think anybody is going to care. Uh, lifetime member right here. Lifetime members are right here. If they suddenly opened it up to everybody, I would. I could not possibly care less. I just. Mm-hmm. It, it is not a thing that is of any sort of material benefit. Oh wait a minute! The captain's table is still active. Yep. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, it sure is. Yeah. Well, I remember age. I mean, ages ago, and we're talking going back at least a year. Um, when Al Rivera was on saying, if anybody has any suggestions for what they'd like to see in the captain's table, please let us know. Um, because, you know, even even Cryptic uh, admit that it's it's currently it's fragmenting where people will go in a, in a social zone. And it's not that's not you necessarily know, what you want to do. So, you know, I'm not going to lie, but even even simple things like a bonus to when you're trying to sell your equipment. 
You know, like it, it's a it's a a deeper bonus or better bonus when you try to sell an item instead of trying to go through somewhere on Earth space dock or a, a cargo ship or something like that. I have made that suggestion to Al on past interviews, and he said that they would be reluctant to do that because the general STO community would then feel that they have been slighted. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and well, yeah, but I mean, but you're paying for that, right? You've paid for that type of a. It, it's, it makes sense to yeah. me. That's a financial yeah. thing, oh, right? Yeah. So, I, I agree with you, Elijah. Uh, I I made the suggestion, but I'd rather they just it. open it up. Open most, up with the blog most of it. Most of the time, we just don't. But the first rule of Captain's Table is we don't talk about Captain's Table. <laughs> yeah, at this point, at this point, seven years later, yeah. though, seven years later, yeah. they just, still don't yeah, know what to do with the Captain's just, Table to give a benefit like, to gold table? What's that? and premium members. I I don't know. It just it, it, once they solve this, they 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 uh, they, they eighty six the crew option, right? They eighty six the crew. Yep. Uh, the little crew meter down at the bottom there that nobody had any use for. The 86 to that. They fix this to put the blogs at the captain's table. Then they figure out what to do with gold press latinum. I mean, I think those are the three major, you know, useless things that are out there. Are you there kidding still. me? Gold press latinum is so useful. Hello, what? you can dress yourself as a Borg. The point of the captain's table is that it's it's a premium service to people who have paid that lifetime subscription or who are paying $15 a month to play this it's game, totally right? It's totally useless. So, so, and, and it, it, in its current state, is totally useless. But, man, if it'd be great if I got, like, a, a better list of DOF missions mm-hmm. or a better list of a better prices when I want to sell items to a vendor, you know, an NPC vendor. Let, let, me, let, me twist your, let me twist your frame of reference. Let me give you a different perspective. People are already paying X dollars a month or already parted with their lifetime membership or whatever when the captain's table is useless right now. So simply by removing this useless item and turning to something useful to everything else, they haven't taken away anything from the lifetime members because you're already getting something pretty useless and you already paid for it. So it doesn't really hurt anything. If they were to increase the value. Hey, um, hey, hey guys, should we actually get onto feedback? That was feedback. Well, well feedback. no, but for the for that our actual feedback. community so, question. Yes, yes. Because yes. Richard Richard did write in an email. Blew so Kenna, he likes your idea. Well, thank you, Richard, uh, for responding. Especially because I got that in my inbox and I was like, oh, somebody wrote to me. I was actually quite excited. So thank you for that, Richard. Episode 320's community question was, what's your favorite part of the Star Trek Online summer event on Ryza? From Patreon, David S. says, I love everything about the summer event, although I'm still upset there's no day-night transition anymore. Where the winter event still involves a lot of ground combat, the summer event activities take advantage of other game mechanics. Plus, it's simply a beautiful map. From Twitter, our very own Cookie Cupcakes writes in with, Trying to get my swimsuit to match my skin color and chilling in the hot tub while I'm AFK! You know what? This is actually... I love that she wrote this in because that is kind of like a rite of passage. Everybody at some point uh, buys the wetsuit and then tries to make their skin tone match the wetsuit perfectly. And they're like, look, I'm naked. It's like a rite of passage. Everybody's done it. It's true. I haven't done it. You are, no. Dude, you are missing out. Nor have I. Cookie's done it you with me. Also. Okay, Winters has done it. So Look, you guys are just hooligans. Yeah. <laughs> hooligans. From Facebook, James Salette said, hanging out is fun. Dancing like a lunatic is fun which it is. It's a lot of fun to ride the hoverboards, jetpacks, and such, but to me, there's nothing about the summer event itself that's much fun. Not enough incentive for me. The winter event is more my cup of tea. From the Star Trek Online forums, Tyler Maxwell wrote in, Floaters and powerboards are always fun. 
either competitively or just on an easygoing stroll across the resort. And who doesn't love a dance party? Do the snake! From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy wrote, Wonderful show, everyone. Thanks, Ryan, for visiting. I love all of the public events for lol favors. Normally, I just run my main the whole time for everything, but this year, he doesn't need any marks. Instead, I will run him for the ship and have one or two others actually breed animals. I also need one of the new pets. Recently, we started our Title Tuesdays on our social media outlets, where we post a picture of a very fun Priority One event or some type of away mission, and let you, our friends, title or caption the picture. Each week, we'll be highlighting one of the tags right here on the show, so be sure to reply on our Facebook or Twitter feeds to those pictures. So this week's picture was one of us at the Masquerade Bar during Star Trek Las Vegas 2016. In the picture is Winters, Kenna, myself, Chris Keen, and Marky Mark of the Geek Contingency. And the big winner this week was Robert Davis, who said, uh, we were stuck in the holodeck due to a malfunction, so we had a party. Oh, yeah. yeah that's sometimes what it feels like. <laughs> that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty accurate. They begin us all around. Well, Captains, we want to remind you to keep an eye on our social media platforms because our social media manager, Jake, will be posting these on Tuesdays, so maybe yours will be highlighted. Well, that wraps up episode 321 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, we may not have a community question this week, but you know that we love to hear from you between our episodes. So leave us a comment on our website at priorityonepodcast.com, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast, or tweet us via priorityonepod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 11pm Eastern. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, and of course with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Speaking of Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spearheading all of our social media endeavors and skits, as well as contributing monthly to The Promenade. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support... None of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage.
transfer complete. And we'll check in with Jake and Cookie for another episode of The Promenade. That was pretty good, but um, can you not end it with such dramaticism? <laughs> you want me to... Wait, wait, wait. You want me to tone down the dramaticism? Just dial it back a bit. A here at this... Here's just the priority one. Here at the, here at the priority one. Are you okay? One? Are you okay? I'm fine. Acting. <laughs> All right. Kind of like the Borg did to Earth in First Contact. The rumor goes on to suggest that the assassination of Tony is doing channing as Sean Connery. Can I? Can I do? I know I was having trouble with the words now, but I think I got it. So can I? Can I? That, do that, that word thing is savage. <laughs> no, it sounds like Tony interfering with ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Interfering with, interfering you know, tickling with. it, right? Um, Blocking its path from a, a sidewalk. Excuse me, sir. We, do, you have a, do you have a minute to talk to to me about life insurance? <laughs> to earn this ship, you need to earn one thousand two. Uh, there's a lot of numbers there with no markings. <laughs> numbers you have there. to earn like a million Sorry. stuff, man. <laughs> one million two thousand point one seven. Okay. It's yeah. always about the bidet. That's what Tyler, he's, it is, he's always not, thinking. But what about the bidet? It's not a, it's not a good episode unless I bring up the bidet. <sighs> bidet um, that's what happened last week. You didn't talk about the bidet once, and that's bidet. why that's we know. fell off track, dude. <laughs> next time it's the safe word. So if it's just going down <laughs> the toilet, I guess, somebody just shout. But what about the bidet? <laughs> <laughs> Well done, Kenneth. You broke Elijah and Tony. <laughs> <laughs> it's our safe word. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs>